Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. I can't believe it. It's been years, but uh, let's kick in the music because it's time for a rare opportunity for an episode of Ape Talk. That's right. Planet of the Apes. Uh, very excited about today's guest, Dana Gould, the wonderful comedian who is the host of the Dana Gould Hour, the podcast that I listen to every month when a new episode comes out. Uh, also the creator of Stand Against Evil on IFC. They are in the midst of planning season three, and we talked a little bit about that on the podcast. Our primary reason to talk to Dana, though, today is about Planet of the Apes. Dana is a longtime fan and has a rare opportunity to contribute to the Apes mythos. You might know that uh, if you're a huge Planet of the Apes fan, of the, especially of the original movie, Rod Serling is credited for the original screenplay, adapting Pierre Boulez's original novel. The screenplay that Serling originally wrote is very different from what we got in the film in 1968 with Charlton Heston. We talked about the differences. There's a YouTube video that you can find that was created for 20th Century Fox by Arthur P. Jacobs, Charlton Heston, and Edward G. Robinson to kind of explain what they were trying to do with the movie, that the makeup would work, and uh, we get a glimpse of the original Serling screenplay, which is vastly different. The lead character is named Thomas, not Taylor, something that Dana brings up. And I'll let Dana get into the details, but uh, it's a good way to illustrate what is to come from Boone Studios, because Dana is getting the opportunity to adapt the original Serling screenplay into a graphic novel for Boom Studios. Dana Gould is doing the comic book scripting, and Chad Lewis is doing the art. You might remember Chad from uh, some great work on the Avengers for Marvel. It looks amazing, the promo piece that they have already submitted. And again, I know uh, Gould's love for the Planet of the Apes. He talks a lot about it on his podcast. And Dana is the kind of fan of Planet of the Apes that many of us are regarding Star Wars or Star Trek. Well, Apes was uh, Dana's franchise, and it's a great opportunity to talk to him about his love for the project and the uh, franchise and uh, his own participation in some various comedy bits over the years, not only on his podcast, but again, we'll get into it on the conversation. Really nice to uh, have the opportunity to talk to Dana Gould on today's Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for your wonderful support. Thank you via Patreon for subscribing to Word Balloon and keeping the lights on and everything running here. Word Balloon is free. It'll always be free. But if you like what I do here, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon or wordballoon.com and click on the Patreon ad. But I thank you every week because I mean it. Thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by our usual sponsor, InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. And when it comes to Planet of the Apes material, you're going to find great books at great prices on InStockTrades.com. Things like the Planet of the Apes series of stories that came from Daryl Gregory. Kind of a couple hundred years in between Caesar's time and Dr. Zaius's time. But these volumes are excellent. Uh, volume 4, which not only features Daryl Gregory, but also Jeff Parker, Karina Bechko, and Gabe Hardman doing the writing. It's 30% off for Volume 4, $13.99. You can also get from Bechko and Hardman, Planet of the Apes Cataclysm, that specific story. I like to call that series Young Dr. Zaius because it's right before the movies, but it's definitely Dr. Zaius uh, as he uh, kind of uh, goes through the political side of Ape City. 
Pretty neat stuff. This is 30% off, $10.49. You can also get Betrayal of the Planet of the Apes, another wonderful book that Gabe Hartman and Karina Bechko wrote, and Gabe did the drawing. Beautiful stuff, man. This is also 30% off, $10.49. You can get Mike Morisi and Dan McDade's adaptation of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. A very interesting story there. 30% off, $13.99. But there have been other great crossovers as well, like Star Trek Planet of the Apes from Scott Tipton and Rachel Slot. That's 30% off. Who would have thought? Captain Kirk and Taylor meeting and, of course, having to combat uh, Dr. Zayas. Amazing covers from our buddy J.K. Woodward on this crossover. It's 30% off, $13.99. You can also get the Planet of the Apes Green Lantern crossover from Robbie Thompson. That's 30% off, $13.99. Tim Seeley and uh, Dave Walker did Tarzan on Planet of the Apes, another great crossover, 42% off, $11.59. Do yourself a favor. Don't take my word for it. Go to InStockTrades.com. Don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. They're good people. They have great books at great prices. Check it out for yourself, InStockTrades.com. Well, this is a real treat for me because I'm a longtime Dana Gould fan. He was a writer for The Simpsons for many years. He, as we briefly discussed, was part of the Ben Stiller show and doing sketch writing for them. Uh, A real important voice in the world of alternative comedy, and uh, a huge Planet of the Apes fan. So without further ado, very excited to present to you my conversation with comedian Dana Gould about one of our favorite subjects, Planet of the Apes, the new adaptation of Rod Serling's original screenplay. It will be a boom graphic novel later this year. Let's get into our conversation with Dana Gould now on Word Balloon. Dana Gould, welcome to Word Balloon. This is a real thrill for me, sir. I'm uh, I'm a longtime fan of the podcast, of your stand-up, Stand Against Evil. So uh, congratulations on the career trajectory and where it's going, and uh, really excited <laughs> about this Apes project. Yeah, thank you. I I um, harder to hit a moving target. That's why I keep wor- <laughs> I keep working. Anything that keeps me out of my head is a positive. That's how I look at it. That's interesting because it seems like uh, you're getting to do a lot of the projects that are probably dream jobs, and I want to hit on those. But the pro- That's absolutely true, by the way. <laughs> you know, uh, not for lack of trying, but I'm very grateful for the opportunities. Well, and this opportunity that's coming up with Boom, adapt a graphic novel based on uh, Rod Serling's original screenplay for Planet of the Apes, which... Uh, Crazy. Uh, yeah, diehard ape fans know did change a lot from what we got in the uh, in the 68 Charlton Heston movie. Yeah, it's very, very different. And, you know, I was aware of it from, you know, obviously seeing the, the credits on the film. I knew he was involved in it. And it plays like a giant Twilight Zone episode. I mean, Definitely. his his fingerprints are all over that movie. And then I remember when I was a kid getting uh, the first issue of Marvel's Planet of the Apes magazine oh, yeah. uh, that I <laughs> later uh, later went out and bought a full run of, thanks to e- thanks eBay. Um, <laughs> but Greg Nicotero has a full run of famous monsters, so he completely shames me. I understand. Um, but he's got walking dead money. I'm just got stand against evil money. Those are two very different things, I can assure you. Um, <laughs> that walking dead money's getting silly. Uh, but he wrote, there was an interview with Rod Serling in the first issue of uh, Marvel's Planet of the Apes magazine. 
And he talked about, I remember it, and I even remember the quote. It said the, the, the structure of the piece was mine. The trajectory of the piece was still mine, but it was, it was rewritten for um, budget and, and, and things like that. You know, obviously, sure. as people may or may not know, the original book written by Pierre Boulle, uh, it, it's basically Gulliver's Travels. It's, it's a satire of, uh, of the humanity's foibles. It's not science fiction. The explanation for man losing his preeminence uh, is that he did not use his intelligence. And so his intelli- intelligence withered and left him. You know, it's a very it's a very poetic, uh, non-science fiction-y thing. You know, there's no simian flu. Right. <laughs> That's right. Um, okay. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a very sort of poetic, uh, satirical reason. Um, Rod Serling took that. Uh, and, and, and the city, and, and they lived in a modern city. They had helicopters and, you know, it, uh, um, it was very much Gulliver's Travels. Pierre Boulle did not consider it uh, a major work. Uh, he considered it uh, one of his sort of side things. Okay. He, he, yeah. Didn't consider it a major work. Um, the screenplay of Planet of the Apes that Rod Serling wrote, the first draft is dated from uh, December 64, and then there's a rewrite in March of 65. Being a writer myself, I'm always suspicious of anything dated in December because what that tells me is you put it off and you're just frantically trying to finish before the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm working mostly off the March version. They're not very different. but um, They are very different, you say? No, they're not. Oh, they're okay. Not. I see. They're, um it, it's long. It's 140 pages. It, it, it's it's a it's long, and uh, but to me, what struck me as the main change in it, outside of the fact that they do live in a modern city, uh, they have helicopters and cars, and 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 Rod has things that aren't in the book. Uh, they cross the street on monkey bars and things like that. There's a lot of you know. <laughs> It would have cost a trillion dollars to make. Um, But it's really once we establish that Taylor, who is called Thomas and was called Thomas right up until just before shooting. um, I I, I think it's only in the shooting draft. His name changes to Taylor. Um, uh, He's not the he's uh, Thomas in the Serling draft is not the Charlton Heston character. Uh, Charlton Heston character, what's, what makes that movie really fascinating, one of the many, many things, is he's a misanthrope. Uh, Taylor hates humanity mm-hmm. and has to defend it, which is a great role to play. And uh, I think that, uh, I actually think that Charlton Heston uh, did an amazing job in that role. Yes. Um, he, he, you need a larger than life character to carry that film. And if you don't believe me, look at the one that came out with Mark Wahlberg. Um, <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yeah. You need, you need somebody to carry that film. And he, and he does. 
quite ably. Um, so in this draft, Thomas, and this is what I'm doing in the novel, I really want to show you the other version. Um, Thomas is a very down-the-middle, mid-60s, Rod Serling liberal. Uh, you know, like any hero from any episode of The Twilight Zone, he was a, you know, he's a sensitive guy. He's a uh, open-minded guy. Uh, um, he's... he's not the asshole that Taylor is. Sure. And, and Taylor is a flaming asshole. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, there's there's that line in uh in the movie when he's talking to Landon and he says, Your loved ones are dead and forgotten for twenty centuries. Twenty centuries. Even if you could get back, they'd think you were something that fell out of a tree. It's like, aren't you in charge of morale? <laughs> <laughs> You're the you're the captain. <laughs> It'd be like on Star Trek, sir. We're surrounded by Klingons. Good, we deserve to die. <laughs> so Thomas, as in the script and in in the novel, uh, the graphic novel, is a very different character than Taylor. And what happens is once he speaks, it is a political thriller. It's not what you know as Planet of the Apes. It it, it feels a lot more like Seven Days in May. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> Me too. And it feels a lot more like Seven Days in May than Planet of the Apes. Basically, Thomas represents something that this culture wants to keep secret. He has allies in the culture, but the power structure is uh, against it. And it's a lot of conference rooms, lecture halls, meetings and offices. It's very much a political thriller. And... I was really excited to be able to uh, to put that into uh, uh, to translate that. Uh, it, it's a really fascinating approach that you don't um, uh, that uh, it never occurred to me that you could tell this story that way. Um, That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I don't like having to wake up in the morning and figure out what lines of Rod Serling's I'm going to cut, but. <laughs> If I used everything, it would be, you know, the size of the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> you know, so you have to you have to work to the medium that you're in. True. And and is this your first graphic novel? Comic? It is. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Where do, where do you go to learn how to write in this form versus screenplay or, you know, yeah, stand up and, and the other things you write? Um yeah, well, Daphna and uh, Gavin at Boom Comics were, mm -hmm. were really uh, great uh, in terms of they kind of gave – I went to school a little bit with sure. them to, to figure out how to do it. And then after the first uh, batch of pages, uh, they were very good about like this is, uh, this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad. Okay. And uh, I went back and uh, was able to do it. It's It's – there's a lot of just mechanical things in terms of, you know, a two page spread has to start on and, you know, even to odd, not an odd to even just publishing things. I wouldn't know. Certainly. And, um, uh, and just being able to economize, you get one piece of action per frame, you know, there's right. no, like he comes over and then he, nope, <laughs> you know, so you have to tell a story with a great deal of economy. Um, but I'm used to that having worked in a half hour format and 
you know, The Simpsons and Stand Against Evil and all the other shows I've worked on, Parks and Rec and what have you. Sure. Um, you know, you, you have to tell stories with with a lot of economy. And, you know, I'm developing a show right now. Uh, hopefully that'll become a show. And the original version of it was an hour long. And I really felt after we, you know, got it ready to pitch, I was like, I, I'd really rather pitch this as a half an hour. Uh, and I went back and changed it. And basically, you know, if it's an hour show, it's about the situation depicted. And if it's a half hour show, it's about the characters. That's how I would phrase it. And I sort of changed the focus completely onto the characters and it felt uh, much more comfortable to me. I like telling a big story with a small scope. And that lent itself very uh, adroitly to uh, the graphic novel. Uh, it, it's sort of the same uh, muscles that you use, just being very economical with how you tell a story. I was uh, listening to your most recent podcast, and I heard you, I think it was the most recent one, where you mentioned that uh, you've taken a lot of writing cues from listening to old-time radio, and especially yeah. a show Dragnet. like Dra yeah, Dragnet. Yeah. And I love that yeah. because, again... Man, I'm with you. I love old-time radio, and I really think Dragnet and the Radio Gunsmoke in particular are, like, such great <laughs> yeah. shows. But I, like just, said, I, lean. Just hear, yeah. I hear William Conrad, and I just imagine him lumbering down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like Radio Spencer Tracy because yes, he is so powerful. everything. That and that guy, Robert Daner, who was Paladin, they're on everything. <laughs> they got those great voices, those booming yeah. voices. and. You know, yeah, well, I, I think, you know, some, some rerun fans might know Jake and the Fat Man and certainly Ken. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I know you're a Meat TV watcher as well. Yeah. So. Do you know the old joke about Jake and the Fat Man? Please. <laughs> uh, so I forget who it was. It was a really funny comedian that I worked with in the 80s. And it was, uh, who? how do you want to be Robert Conrad's agent? Hey, Robert, there's a new show coming out. It's called Jake and the Fat Man. You're not Jake. <laughs> <laughs> I was bummed. I heard... Uh... Um, Brian Cranston say that he, you know, it had a role on Jake and the Fat Man, and it was so disappointing because like Conrad wouldn't be there for him to like do lines and stuff, and you know, oh, yeah. to, like, deal with a stand-in, and that Conrad That's... at that point was just cashing a check and not really giving a damn anymore. Hey, yeah, that happens a lot. You go, yeah, I know, I know, like on Matlock, uh, that you know, you'd shoot out Mister Griffith so he could go home. He's, it gets down to a science. <laughs> <laughs> well, back to the apes. There's that great screen test that I guess was kind of a proof of concept. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, with uh, Edward G. Robinson. Yes, which is so interesting and uh, a great what if casting had he been, yeah. you know, able to, you know, deal with the makeup and do the role. When's the first time you saw that footage? I saw it on the DVD. Yeah, I guess that was the first time I saw it, or I saw a clip of it somewhere. But yeah, it was when I saw the, I'd, I'd read about it, obviously like it, it, it's hard for me to articulate, uh, just, uh, you know, how inundated I am with information about, you know, this, I mean, for whatever reason, these films meant so much to me as a kid. Like I really focused on them, you know, it, you know, I, you, you know, there's a, one or two things that you'd never know it to come in my house. I don't like live in the, you know, <laughs> the ape city. <laughs> it's not like, I'm not like a Star Trek fan whose living room looks like the bridge. Um, 
But, you know, it, it meant so much to me. And, you know, I was reading Famous Monsters as a kid and sure. Starlog and, and Planet of the Apes magazine. And, you know, I was aware of it. I knew about it. And, and it's so funny because, you know, Planet of the Apes magazine or Famous Monsters, like, you know, they'd have an interview. That, like I was 13 years old and I knew who Dick Zanuck was. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> the guy running Fox. Uh, yeah, the guy running Fox. He was married to Nova. Yes, indeed. Um, Linda, yeah, Linda Hamilton. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Harrison. Linda Hamilton oh, was in Terminator. Yeah. That's a comment. Uh, oh, that's right. Linda Hamilton is Terminator. Linda Harrison right, yeah. is Nova. Shame on me. Very yeah. good. Also, also married to James Cameron at the time, I believe. Um, <laughs> but uh, – and I'm going to see – I'm going to uh, be with Lisa Harrison this Friday, oddly. Um, oh, are you going to a convention? No, it's a very strange thing. When, when does this drop? Probably next week. Oh, good. Then I can I can spoil it. Um, USC is having a 50th anniversary screening of the film and they're having like a month long thing. They have a lot of stuff from the archives and uh, and they're doing a giant panel. They're showing the film. And, it, and, and there's a lot of stuff going on over the course of the month. Wow. But they're showing the film and then they're having a panel with um, oh, the surviving people, Lin, uh, Linda Harrison uh, Dan Strepek, the makeup uh, artist, Bill Krieber, who was the art director, um, uh, Matt Reeves, who directed Ry uh, Dawn and War for the Planet of the Apes, his producer, his co-writer, uh, this giant uh, thing. And then uh, one of my bizarre side careers that I've developed over the years is I I've, uh, do <laughs> I do personal – I do – I will appear as Dr. Zayas if you need Dr. Zayas. <laughs> I'm aware. Absolutely, man. I okay. love your interview. I, I, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's an idea I wrote years ago uh, in 1992. Uh, I was a writer on the Ben Stiller show on sure. Fox. Yeah, great show. And, uh, and uh, we, I had an idea – um, it was to do, uh, a, a, you know, the commercials for play, you know, like you'll see a, if Hamilton comes to your town, they have the commercial for Hamilton. Sure. Uh, and it's just clips of uh, the musical. And I wanted to do a commercial for coming to town, Planet of the Apes, the musical. This was before the Simpsons did it. <laughs> and then and the second act of the show, there would be from the producers of Planet of the Apes, the musical, Hal Holbrook is Dr. Zayas <laughs> as Mark Twain tonight. And it was Dr. Zayas dressed as Mark Twain doing Mark Twain tonight. <laughs> and we, we got canceled before we got a chance to do it. And uh, the idea of Planet of the Apes, the musical, uh, ended up at The Simpsons. Um, I think it was two people having the same idea at the same time. Uh, and they did a much better job than I would have done it. Uh, they, you know, um, I could not. Yes. Yeah. Uh, chimpanzee to chimpanzee. <laughs> I tip my hat. Absolutely. I believe those. I believe those were mostly written by David Cohen. I might. I could be wrong. Okay. Wow. Could be wrong. Uh, David Cohen, who developed Futurama. Sure. Uh, yes. Yes. So I ended up doing this years later for John Hodgman, uh, and it's on YouTube if you want to see it. It's uh, if you just go on YouTube and go Dana Gould, Doctor Zayas, Mark Twain, it'll come up, and then. Uh, from that, uh, I did that and then Joel, ha and then that was like a one-off and it worked great because I'm friends with, as I mentioned his name before, I'm friends with Greg Nicotero uh, from KNBFX. And so I just basically called Greg and I said, you know, Hey Greg, can, can one of the guys over there do a 
uh, Dr. Zayas makeup on me? I was like, sure. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> yeah, <was> like, no <laughs> problem. <laughs> Andy Schoenberg uh, has the, the makeup and the suit. I was like, great. He's hired. Um, and so then that happened. And then when Joel Hodgson was doing uh, the new Mystery Science Theater, uh, he was doing a telethon, a crowdfunding telethon. Yes. And uh, he said, hey, could you do it? Could you do Dr. Zayas again for the telethon? I was like, sure. And then uh, my friend was doing a, a Christmas show at uh, a theater here with Paul Williams. And he wanted to know if I would come out and sing as Zayas and sing a song with Paul Williams, who was in Battle for the Planet. And then I ended up on TCM when they did uh, uh, Planet of the Apes as part of their summer series. I, they uh, Ben Mankiewicz interviewed me. So it just turned into this bizarre side career. And I I do it funny. I You know, I, I play him like an old Hollywood name dropper. <laughs> It's, it's, you know, it's just, I wouldn't do it straight, but he's like, oh, yeah. you know, don't play cards with Alan Alda, you know, just stuff like that. <laughs> or yeah. Funny story about Chuck on the set. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's that kind of stuff. And when I, and, and so when, and so that we're going to, and so when USC was doing this thing, they said, would you want to come out? Would you, could you do it? And I was very like, I will do it. You know, if everybody knows I'm doing it, I don't want anybody's surprised in a bad way sure. and you know they know that i'm not a lunatic and da, 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 da. so so this friday i will be hanging out with uh nova and dr zayas makeup should be fun that's excellent man <laughs> wow and the guy um and i for the and i'm hoping that you'll remember the actor's name but one I've of the been, mutants <laughs> one of the mutants from beneath uh don don pedro am i saying? yeah don pedro collie there we go yes yeah. You know, he's come through town. I'm kicking myself, man. You were in Chicago uh, back in the fall and I know or, or I, late winter or whatever. And I know you had Sven Gulli on stage. And, yes. Uh, yeah. You know, so I, I wasn't able to see your shows then. But uh, Linda and, uh, and Don Pedro came to an autograph show a couple oh, of years wow. ago. One of my uh, cartoonist buddies, Art Baltazar, is a huge Apes fan as well and was over the moon to get to meet, you know, Nova. And, right. Uh, yeah, sure. Pedro. So, yeah, it's uh no, that's that's excellent, and yeah, I saw the Ben Mankiewicz uh, portrayal that you did. Talking to Paul <laughs> Williams, though, I've seen that great YouTube clip where he showed up while they were shooting Battle. And, yeah, on the Tonight Show. Yeah, and he sings the song in uh, full. Uh, yeah. uh, Julius, not Julius. What's his name? Uh, Virgil. Virgil. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, man, and no, that's a <laughs> good stuff. Yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was really. Yeah, no, he was, and he was, uh, he was, he was great when I. Uh, um, uh, I think it's a, a, a testament to where he was at the time when I, we were talking and, um, battle was filmed in, uh, early 1973 and Paul was a much younger man, probably a little bit more adventurous in his habits. And I said to him, uh, I said, God, it must be impossible to have a cold when you're in make this makeup. And he said, it's impossible to do a lot of things that involve your nose. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the documentary, so I know what you're yeah. talking about, which by yeah, the way, for really listeners, you should totally see that Paul Williams documentary. It's a fascinating story and is not, a, he's not ashamed to talk about his cocaine problem from, uh, for years, for decades, really. And I'm really yeah. glad he's cleaned up and this is an, he's an incredible guy, man. I mean, it's easy to like, laugh off Paul Williams, but when you really step back and see the body of work, plus the music, 
I mean, you know, we see him on, you know, people might see him in the Smokey and the Bandit movies or the Odd Couple reruns or whatever, and it's like, yeah, whatever. And it's like, no, 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 Phantom of Paradise, I know, isn't it, right? Is that the, the title? Yeah, Phantom right? of the Paradise, sure. Yeah, man, no, I, again, man, I'm, I'm, uh, I think we're around the same age, and I, I'm pretty sure we were reading the same magazines and watching the same movies. <laughs> I'm sure we were. So, yeah, definitely, man. No, and I'm, and again, that's a great thing, man. You're such an Uber fan. And I, and it's amazing how it has intersected with your life. Again, listening to the podcast for a while, weren't you living in Roddy McDowell's home? Uh, yes, I was living in uh, Roddy McDowell, and my uh, my ex wife and my kids still live there. I was there this morning. Okay, all right. <laughs> and the text that I just got that you might have heard was uh, me being told that my daughter's cat is currently on the roof of Roddy McDowell's old house. <laughs> Um, and yeah, we still get mail for him occasionally. We'll, we'll get like a United Airlines mileage thing or something. <laughs> Did you have the lawgiver statue for a while as well? Um, I I had a copy of the bust, uh, the the bust from the courtroom. Okay, uh, sure. The, wow. The original. Uh, the original is. I think there were two originals. Um, one of them, the one that I know of, is owned by a guy named Brian Peck. And he bought it at the Sammy Davis Jr. estate sale. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Sammy, Arthur P. Jacobs and Sammy were friends. He gave it to Sammy because Sammy loved the movie. Uh, and uh, it was in Sammy's backyard by his pool. It was painted white. And uh, Brian refurbished it. And then uh, – and then uh, – uh, yeah, and Greg Nicotero has the mold of the of the has the mold of it. Yeah. Wow, wow! You can get one if you need one. And weren't you also <laughs> John Chambers' neighbor? No, I was Dan Streepeck's neighbor. Excuse me. Okay, to... and that's as you said earlier. He well, wanted to make it on Friday, but I doubt he'll remember me. Um, uh, yeah, he and uh, yeah, I, and I didn't know I was his neighbor until I literally met him at like a neighborhood meeting, like a like a parking meeting or something, sure. and I was like. You're Dan Streepeck. He's like, yeah, I am. I was like, I know you. <laughs> That's insane. That's crazy. Yeah, no, it was very bizarre. And then he ended up like it was a knock on my door like a week later, and he gave me uh, a chimpanzee extras mask. I was like, here, you might want this. Outstanding. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, really. You don't. Yeah, you don't have one of those like wig uh, kind of mannequin things that you can obviously slap yeah. it on. I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, I, I ended up. Yeah. Oh, it's it's. It's well protected now. <laughs> That's actually I love the idea of Sammy having a barbecue and yeah, let's set up those yeah. hamburgers right by the lawgiver. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. If you want potato salad, man, it's by the lawgiver. <laughs> That's outstanding. And again, your fa- your your love of the movies. Well, let's you know, honestly, you keep mentioning the Marvel magazines and I'm really glad you do because those were incredible and boom, reprinted those in the last couple of years and put them in nice deluxe hardcover editions and they you did? Know. Yeah, man. So, uh, you know, Doug, Doug Munch. Why did they tell me this? Oh, man. Yeah, I was going to say, I was wondering if, um, because, you know, they have the license now. And, you know, all the stuff that's ever made for this stuff, like all the Conan stuff, stays with the Robert Howard estate. And Marvel, you know, did the 70s Conan comics and magazines. And, you know, for a while, Dark Horse had the uh, license. So right. all that stuff, Dark Horse has the right to reprint it. And they usually are able to get that old stuff and, and do it. Same thing happened with the Marvel Star Wars stuff when it was at Dark Horse for a while. And uh, so, yeah, boom, you know, having having the ape license and everything, they've got the access to all those oh, great black and white comics. And as I'm sure you remember, 
good lord, I mean, like, for Escape of the Planet of the Apes, you get that scene of Zeus and, uh, or rather, Zira and Cornelius yeah, and in, Dr. Milo the leaving ship. the planet. Yeah. yeah. A bit of a stretch, logically. <laughs> <laughs> but comics, it's okay. I kind of, yeah, them actually figuring out how to uh, run the sh- spaceship. Oh, please. <laughs> Have you read those uh, Andrew It's Gaska? a little wet, but I'm sure we'll be fine. <laughs> Have you read the Andrew Gaska novels that have come out in the last couple of years? Because no, they are in my pile, my my bottomless pile of stuff that I hope to read. Really but I have fun. to wait until I'm sick because yeah. that's the only time I ever read it. Uh, believe me, I understand. They're really, really fun, and I and I'm really, I was really impressed. I've actually had him on the podcast a couple times as well. And uh, again, yeah, he stitch he he uh, gives us great backstory before the first movie. And you get, you know, Taylor and Landon, and um, I think mostly it focuses on Taylor and Landon. Forgive me, I'm, uh, Dodge, right? Isn't Dodge the third? Yeah. One? Yeah. You get kind of their backstories before the mission. And it's oh, really, wow. yeah, it's really interesting. I don't want to tip anything, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, I, I get which one I get, is that? And which one is that one? Is that Archives or? Um, no, I can't remember the titles. But they were, you know, they've got kind of movie-ish titles and everything. But yeah, Andrew Gaska is the the author, and he's written two eight books that, that do stitch together, um, like I said, the backstory of the 68 movie. And then also, pretty sure it's in the second novel, that explains how the apes dredge up uh, the rocket, or the, you know, the, yeah, uh-huh. and, and how, and, and kind of explains how they figure out the technology to, that my life is. I mean, that, that is truly a, it was a brilliant, brilliant play on his part. I mean, it really was. Um, oh, it was a conspiracy on the planet. That's the right. That's exactly yeah. right. Yes. You ha- I, and I do have it. Yeah. There you go, man. No, it's um, great stuff. Yeah. And it, it's, I mean, it's really uh, amazing how he, uh, Paul Dane uh, came up with that. It's it's breathtaking. It's so clever. Uh, well, the tones I, of the movies too are so amazing. And and again, I, I know I'm talking to the right guy about this because you, first of all, your essay on your podcast about Beneath the Planet of the Apes is hilarious, and they should <laughs> yeah. include it pretty much on the DVDs moving forward because you really have to step back and go, who greenlit this movie that is ridiculously depressing. <laughs> It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's like, and 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 I do believe that it was Heston's idea. Like, I'll do it, but I'm gonna kill everybody. <laughs> sure thing, Chuck. <laughs> Whatever you want, buddy. And and again, in those in that documentary that is part of like the box set now, and I'm sure anytime you buy yeah. the apes that Roddy McDowell narrates, it's really cool yeah. because it does come through that Heston was such a champion. Of the yes. you know the initial thing really pushed it through and would not have gotten made without him at all. Yeah, which is awesome. And I know you had and again uh, based on your podcast, you talk about that great moment when you got to meet him on Politically Incorrect, Bill Maher's yep. '90s show. And there's not a frame of film where we're we are not in a two shot ever. Crazy. I just wanted. I know. I just wanted one, like still frame sure. of us like because i did shake his hand when he came out it's not that's not didn't make the cut uh, yeah 
Bummer, really? man. No, I understand. I believe me. As a broadcaster, yes, the people that you get to meet, and when you get to meet your heroes, and you do yeah. want something to preserve that moment. Of course, you've got that great autograph picture from Apes that he. I, I do, yeah, and I also have, uh, you know, I have a lot of sort of a lot of friends of mine wrote on Saturday Night Live when he hosted, and there's a lot of oh, there's cool. a lot of great. <laughs> the the funniest story was the first time he hosted, and they were doing a rehearsal, and Chris Farley was. Uh, either playing an ape or a human, and he was in a cage, and he was miming, masturbating the way <laughs> apes will. And my friend said, and then we just heard this booming voice from across the soundstage, Chris Farley, knock it off. <laughs> That's awesome. And again, yeah. there's a guy that we only know, or that younger people might only know uh, near the end of his life and career, yeah. the NRA guy. Yep. The guy in the Michael uh, Moore movie. Yeah. That unfortunately. Was, that's, that's a shame, too, because, you you know, I don't agree with his politics, but he was of that generation was like, yeah, we have our politics, but it's not our life. It's our politics. Yep. That's gone away, unfortunately. Amen. Uh, Absolutely. You, I can tell you, you know, I've, I've said this before, so I'm not, you know, like this is no great bulletin. I'm obviously a big Hollywood liberal. You know, Charlton Heston was one of the nicest people I've ever met, and Michael Moore was one of the most annoying people I've ever met. So there you go. Sure, <laughs> you sure, know? absolutely. Well, and again, you're right, yeah. and and also, uh, uh, you know, we're and I'm definitely on Michael Moore's side politically. Oh, hey man, but, I, and you know, I'm a liberal as well, and and I yeah. don't mind using the phrase liberal anymore, and that's kind yeah, of no, falling I, out of fashion. Um, yeah. But no, you're right. And and the cool thing about Heston was he was a complicated guy because he was a conservative but marched with King, Martin Luther King, and supported civil yeah, no, rights. He did, and, he you was know. A, yeah, I think he was – it was a – again, it was a different era where you could be a social liberal and a political conservative. Agreed. You know, yes. Uh, you know, he – the Omega Man yes. uh, had an interracial love interest at its heart. That was not common in the early 70s. Damn straight. Uh, yeah. Especially with a big with a big movie star. And he was like, no, this is the story. Let's do it. You know? Absolutely, man. And, I, and truly, those movies, the ape movies and Soylent Green and Omega Man, it's like – you know, at at a very interesting point in his career, Charlton Heston is really kind of leading the science fiction front yeah. with some pretty yeah, amazing movies. But before before Star Wars, it was like yes. basically everything up until like Logan's Logan's Run, which was sort of like the salad to the main course of Star Wars. Um, uh, uh, it was Charlton Heston. Yeah. It, was, it was Charlton Heston. No, totally yeah. agree, man. And uh, yeah, pretty. Pretty amazing body of stuff, and uh, yeah, I and a, a really uh, an interesting guy. But as as we were saying earlier, yeah, spearheaded them thing, and and you can see the uh, proof of concept film they put together for Planet of the Apes. It's on YouTube. You don't need to buy the box set if you don't want to. But of course, we have recommended it because they're amazing. Right. All five of them are amazing movies, and that's why I started to say like uh, I love Escape because Escape really does start as this weird, almost wacky like com- comedy. Yeah, escape. Escape is yeah. As, as I've said, uh, the original Planet of the Apes is basically uh, a giant episode of Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. and Escape from the Planet of the Apes is basically a giant version of Love American style. <laughs> <laughs> until until the end, when someone said, "I have an idea. Let's shoot a baby." <laughs> 
It's true. It gets it gets so funny. And then I mean, it's like they're on the run, and it gets ridiculously dark. Yeah. But it's a great again, man. You know, and and I know again, you live through those ape marathons at the drive-ins and uh, theaters. Yeah, I, 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 Escape was the first one I saw at the movies. Uh, I saw it at the drive-in when wow. I was a kid. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I you know, um, I, I had a my parents had a friend who uh, worked at a film distributor and we saw at their home uh, the original Planet of the Apes, I want to say like in 70 or 71. But for me, it was whenever the CBS movies, whenever they would show them on CBS and CBS seemed to have the license and of course had the the TV series subsequently as well. Uh, Uh But yeah, that's I I pretty much saw them first there and then finally in the drive-in on those marathons and stuff. And I was going to say, yeah, Escape is, you know, it ends you so good parents if they kept you on a whole marathon <laughs> of the drive-in. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then, of course, you know, uh, Conquest is as interesting and dark as it gets. And then Battle is this great Disney movie. Yeah, Battle is basically a Disney movie. Conquest is the, is the, is the really interesting one. Sure. Because it's... Once you've seen, once you have seen the first cut, uh, you, you can't go back. You know, you you, uh, you you can't go back to the the studio released version. So I once know you've seen, I know there's the alternate uh, ending. How the much? bloody horrible, but yeah, the alternate ending. Okay, because yeah, is there is there more difference than just the alternate ending with the original cut? Um. It well, just the, the the battle is bloodier. There's there's a couple of other scenes. Okay, but uh, tonally it doesn't. You know, it, it continues. Just the end, the the endings of these movies. Oh yeah, <laughs> everyone is more bleak than the one before. <laughs> um, it's truly truly amazing. And uh, have, uh, I was gonna, yeah. I was going to ask, have you done? Because again, I know you did the essay for Beneath. I can't remember if you did it for the first movie. Are you going to do them for all five movies on your podcast? Eventually, I'll, 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 I'm sure I will get around to it. The, I think if I ever do Planet, it will have to be like the whole podcast. That would be awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, but I, I'm I'm friends with Lou Wagner. I think I could get Lou Wagner to talk about it. Uh, and then, uh, and then, um, yeah, it, it would be it would be like a whole. Uh, it would be like a whole. Uh, I should do it with the 50th anniversary. I well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, man, this is the year to do it, obviously. <laughs> so yeah, cool. I, I'll probably do it with the release of the – yeah, I'll have to do it for the summer. I will. That's fun. I love the podcast. Just I, to plug I, the book. <laughs> say it again. Just to plug the book. Yeah, man. Well, and yeah, that's good timing as well, obviously. So that would yeah. be good. But And that's the thing, man. I love the podcast, and I know – that your bread and butter and, you know, more importantly, your paychecks are, are coming from the, these other great projects you're doing, like Stand Against Evil and stuff. And I can appreciate not only when you're writing and creating uh, Stand Against Evil, but also when you've been acting in various things that it's tough to maintain a regular podcast schedule. But it's always great when it, when they come out and I subscribe. So I'm, I'm always, you know, happy oh, when I see you. it in my feed. And it's like, oh, thank God. There it is. Excellent. You know, <laughs> new episode. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we, it does come out. Uh, uh, it, it's, you know, we, we do have a, uh, uh, a, a schedule. We come out within the last four days of the month. Okay. Oh, that's uh, cool. It's always within the last four days of the month. That's how we get paid. Excellent. That's very uh, cool. By, by Casper mattresses. 
<laughs> hey man, that's cool. And I and you know, hey, I'm I'm glad and I'm glad that again you're getting something for it. And I, believe me, as a podcaster with a radio day job, I know how that goes as well. Um, right. Stand against evil. I, you know, cause also I don't want to, I, I appreciate your time and I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about oh, sure, yeah. the IFC Let's show. Which, away. It's hilarious. <laughs> two seasons and, and you're working on season three. I'm writing the third season as we speak tomorrow. I have a, uh, I have a full, uh, a story room of what we call, I have a, some writers and we have four, Four of the eight scripts, what we call broken, sure. and uh, we'll be uh, breaking the other four tomorrow. I'm I'm right in the thick of it, and uh, yeah, I've been. This is the I'm very very lucky, and I'm very very grateful. I've never been busier, but that's a good thing. I understand. Well, you know, it it's great, and I love the tone of it. I love obviously the comedy is great, and you got you know John. Is it McGinley? Is that how you say John? Yeah, John C. McGinley. Yeah. Johnny C hilarious and and really i love the look of it and i'm sure and i'm i'm reasonably certain you've mentioned it on the podcast as well that you give it that 70s horror movie kind of patina Uh, yeah it's interesting i because i the 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 directors that directed the first season um really talented guys uh jack bishop and justin Najim. they're really talented and i said to them uh, you know, I wanted to have a very retro look, uh, which they thought of like the 80s. Like they were, were thinking it. Stranger Things, Freddy Krueger and all that stuff. Sure. And I was like, no, 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 I'm going I'm – I'm 10 years earlier. I wanted to look like The Last House on the Left, yep. House of Dark Shadows, yep. uh, When Michael Calls, like all those weird 70s TV movies. <laughs> yep. And – and the, the music is evocative of that as well. The music is done by a, a friend of mine named Eben Schletter, who people probably know mostly from Mr. Show. Um, oh, wow. And uh, he's just, you know, he's my friend I know who's a composer. Uh, and he's brilliant. Uh, and I gave him the soundtrack to House of Dark Shadows. And I was like, I want it to sound like this. Fantastic. Nailed it. Hilarious. I mean, it's Eben's one of those guys that's like scary, talented. That's excellent, man. No, it's it's funny as hell, and it, and it really does, you know, uh, it's perfect for horror fans, and yeah, especially retro horror fans that are really going to enjoy it. Definitely modern. I mean, it's, you know, it's timeless. And I always loved your elevator pitch, too, of what if my dad were Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Yeah, that was basically, that was basically <laughs> the idea. That was, that was basically to, just to, to keep it, to keep it short and sweet, that was the, that was the premise. And what's so funny is it takes so long to get the simplest idea. In what way? You know, you know, you'd think I'd have come up with this thing 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> you know? um, but uh, it took uh, it took that long, uh, and eventually, uh, I was like, "Oh yeah, what if I just do? What if I just do this?" And um, it worked out. Uh, it worked out. So I was very happy. But uh, um, uh, it, it was one of those things where. It had been looking me in the face for so long, I couldn't see it. I understand. No, I understand. Are, you know, you did a great um, documentary about the the old uh, horror shows. Uh, yes. Like, you know, that, that, you know, started in the 50s. And, you know, people like Sven Gulli, now modern day, you know, are doing, right. you know, uh, hosting kind of the, the great monster films and other uh, other kind of fun yes. horror films. The only job I've ever felt qualified to do, but. <laughs> I uh, I I have you know it's funny living in Chicago. I did a short video interview with Sven, uh, with Rich Coase uh, about uh, three years ago, 
And, oh, really? And I'm getting the opportunity to, to sit down and do a Q&A with him at uh, the Chicago Comic-Con coming up uh, in the in the spring. And, yeah, and, nicest guy in the on the planet. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and that's the thing. And it, honestly, it is so cool because I saw Joel Hodgson go up to him at that show that I shot the video with. And I know you're one of these guys as well. Go up to him and say, hey, man, thanks a lot. You know, you really helped inspire what we do. And the great thing was he's like, and if you don't already know, so many of my West Coast friends, comedians, think you're hilarious and really love what you do. And, you know, as you know, being our age and everything and, and coming from that five-channel world that we all grew right, up in, right. two UHF yeah, yeah, channels yeah. and, you know, the networks, there's a guy that was busting his ass for decades doing the UHF show and, you know, uh, it, oh. and now it's so nationally known. And I'm so happy for him because he's such a great guy. Yeah, he deserves all he deserves every success that he gets. And uh, uh, I'm really uh, again, he's one of those people that like and, and Joel, too. It's like, I can't believe that I'm a friend. I'm, I can't believe I'm friends with this guy. Well, again, I mean, hey, man, you're part of that comedy mix. And, and honestly, um, I remember you doing Barney Fife, you know, 25 years ago. I don't mean to age us, but <laughs> hey, man. Yeah. And and that's the thing. It's And also, by the way, there's another great essay from your podcast, Ghost to Mr. Chicken. And, oh yeah, and it's true. You're right, and it's it, it, was, it was so it was so obvious back then. But again, you don't realize it until somebody plays it out. It's like, yeah, that's a that's a Mayberry episode without Andy. It's true. Did I do the Ghost of Mr. Chicken on the podcast? Yes. Oh, I don't remember that. There you go, man. No, it was. Was it on Halloween? I, I th- yeah, I think it was one of your Halloween episodes. And oh, it's okay. Like, oh, either and if not if not as an essay, I know you at least. Maybe with the Rob Cohen or whoever, another guy that helps you collaborate, obviously. On yeah, I probably talked. We talked about it extensively. Yeah, yeah, and it's just it's you're right. It's like oh my god, they did. They hired the same townspeople, and I think you said that uh, Griffith was on the set. Um, yeah. Andy Griffith was on the set. Oh yeah, and it might have been with Drew Friedman and Larry Karaszewski because the one thing that I do remember talking about is that movie is like a primer on '60s character actors, like every yes. great television character actor is in that movie it's it's amazing it's You're amazing right. that's true <laughs> yeah that's fantastic it's 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 amazing uh alice kravitz is in that movie <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> funny from uh from bewitched and everything yeah yeah and i just know the big brassy uh lady with gray hair that um she's yeah, with- Haro taro solomon what's her name again the woman that goes, Haro, Taro, yes, Solomon. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I know her from the Odd Couple episode where she's a maid for yeah. Oscar for two seconds. And that's right. That's right. That's right. Say, again, and, I, and you know, you're, as I've heard you say, your kids make fun of you for watching MeTV because it is where television goes to die as far as the advertisers and the, and the catering audience with the walk-in tubs and the catheters and the I know. second mortgages. And, <laughs> I know. It's a, like, and reverse mortgages. Yes, yes. And, how to get a free phone. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I I don't remember some of the reruns that that and Antenna TV do. And that's why, like, I'd always heard about My Mother the Car, but never actually saw it. And now I saw it, and it's like, wow, it really was bad. Or It's About Time, the caveman. Uh, which, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's sure. kind of a Planet of the Apes nod to it as well. It's About Time and predated Planet of the Apes as far as. Yeah, predated Planet of the Apes. Astronauts going back to the prehistoric times and everything. Yeah, those shows are just rough, but it is a pleasure to finally see them. And see all those other great kind of character actors of the 60s and stuff on these things. And the Billy DeWolf son, Good Morning World. The radio show. <laughs> yeah, you see, there you go. I knew I, I knew I spoke your language. There we go, man. <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's a it's a pleasure watching. And I know your fascination with Paradise not to be confused with Billy Van, who hosted the House of Frightenstein. 
I don't know that show. Fantastic. And, and was later a member of the repertory cast of the Sonny and Cher show. <laughs> along with, I believe, Michael Keaton and David Letterman later. Wow. That's fantastic. <laughs> or they were on some show. They were on like the, the new Laughing or the new something. So who was your um, horror host in Boston? Uh, we had two. We had uh, we had a couple. We had uh, Feep, who was a uh, like an alien. Sure. It was a guy. It was a. It was no face to it. It was a weird alien thing. Then we had um, it was the it was the Ghoul or Goulardi, early seventies. Okay. So I'm not sure. Uh, syndicated, and then uh, we just had Creature Double Feature, which didn't have a host. Okay. Okay, because yeah, we had uh, we had the original Svengoli, of course, Jerry G. Bishop, who was kind of right. a zombie hippie for people uh, that are right. Yeah, than oh, us. I'm familiar. Oh, and I'm hip. I'm saying it for my audience and everybody <laughs> kind of describing him compared to the way uh, Rich does Sven and everything. But uh, right, right. And then we... I love, but I love that story that Rich tells. Uh, he basically like gave Rich the character. It's so sweet. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, man, and and kind of amazing that yeah, Bishop went to like the West Coast and. You know, I, I, I know he died, I want to say, really not that long ago. I think in the early 2000s he passed away. No, he just passed. Yeah, he, he didn't uh, pass that long ago. Yeah. yeah. So, no, I'm really excited to be really sitting down for a nice hour with Sven and everything. That's going to be great. Yeah. So before we wrap, I wanted to ask about, you know, the experience of writing on The Simpsons because that's really a great portion of your career behind the scenes. And, you know, what was it like? What did it teach you? Did it, you know? Obviously, I'm sure it helped you as a as a writer, not only for your stand up, but certainly in the scripted TV as well. Oh yeah, no, I learned how to be a writer. Uh, I learned how to be a writer there, uh, and that absolutely applies to my stand up as well. Um, I often like you know starting your work on The Simpsons is uh, an incredibly daunting. Uh, there's a scene. Have you ever seen the documentary Let It Be? The last Beatles oh, documentary. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Th there's a scene where Billy Preston comes in and he's going to play. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, 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 that's how you feel <laughs> uh, when you walk in. Uh, uh, you just feel like, oh, okay, I'll just play with these guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it will be fine. Uh, that's how, that's how it, that's how it felt. Uh, I was just incredible. I mean, I knew, uh, two people on the staff, but, uh, I definitely was intimidated beyond all description. You don't want to be the guy that screws up the Simpsons. <laughs> and it's, you know, and it was also like, you know, 11 Harvard guys and me, I uh, <laughs> But uh, and it took I like to say it took about nine months to figure out what I call like the the algorithms of how you write the show. Sure. Uh, and how the comedy works. It took me a good stretch of time. Uh, but once I got it and um, I settled in, I, I, I found that I had a I liked it. And during that, you know, it, it ties to, you know, your life. Um, it was right when I had, uh, gotten married. It was, we bought our first house and it was great. Uh, having started to do stand up, I started doing stand up when I was 17 Wow! and now it was, uh, 2000. So I was, um, about 36 and 
it was really like the first regular job that I had. I would get up in the morning and I would drive to work and go to my office and drive home at night and watch TV with my wife. And I, my, I didn't, wasn't on the road every other weekend. And, and for that period of time, it was really great. I really loved having a different kind of life. Um, and learning how to do that. And, and then I found over, you know, after about six or seven years, I just got restless. I just wanted to do other things. And I really did miss performing live. Not that I ever stopped doing it, but uh, it, it you can only do it as kind of like you're definitely a dilettante. Uh, and uh, I missed being able to really do it. Uh, so, you know, I felt like I did what I could do and uh, I was ready to do other things. And, that, and that's when I left the show. But it was never out of lack of love or respect for the show. It was just I was ready to do some other stuff. That's cool. Well, that's cool. And again, I mean, it's amazing, especially, you know, I'm, I'm in my early 50s now. And it's I'm at that point where I'm getting to do different projects. And it's, yeah. and it's really fun. And, I, and I, obviously, I sense you're enjoying the same thing and being able to work on the stand-up, have some dates, but then also get back to Stan and, and, and write for that. And again, developing the new show, that's that's terrific. So it's it must be very empowering to kind of be able to kind of call your shots and uh, do what you want to do at this stage of your life. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I you know, I have a lot of kids, so I can't really <laughs> do what I want to do. But I'm lucky that uh, I'm, I'm very, very lucky that I get to work in, in these areas that I like. And, and, and it is, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a cliche, but it is true, you know, just writing what you know and for a lack of a better term, and I'm sure there is one, but like following your bliss, like I, you know, I just do this stuff because I like it and eventually it that world will open up to you, you know, the, yes. the and, and writing what you know is such a huge uh, piece of advice. I know, um, you know, the, the, the worst writing I've ever done is like second guessing what I thought the market wanted uh, or, you know, some assignment that I had no connection to. Mm-hmm. Um, once you get into uh, an area that is sort of like your area of expertise, that's when you can really do something great. Uh, we all have those areas, whether it's politics or sports or baseball or sci-fi movies or or horror movies or what have you. Everybody has uh, that sort of creative river that runs through them that gets them excited. And, uh, uh, the closer you can stick to it, the better off you are. I always appreciate having guests on like yourself and a lot of cartoonists are able to talk about how they've been able to kind of take control over their, uh, careers and not only work for a DC or a Marvel or a boom, but also be able to, you know, kind of make their own stuff. And on your podcast, I've heard you kind of give that same advice. And I know you were quoting somebody else, but it really was kind of a good reality check where you're like, hey, if you want to star in something, make it and star in it. Don't expect someone else to pay for it and give you the opportunity to do your passion project. You really have to like kind of take control and do it yourself. And like I said, I've been having this conversation with a lot of my guests for a long time, and it really was reassuring to hear you kind of have that same philosophy. Yeah. And the other thing that I remember that I, uh, uh, you have to really remember and, you know, you have to read about, you know, like the, the, the they never stop serving the shit sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> the powers that be. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, you know, again, one of these people that like, I can't believe is a friend of mine, 
But uh, John Landis uh, was telling me that like, yeah, I made Animal House and then I made the Blues Brothers and then I wanted to make this cheap little werewolf film and they went, no. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. American Werewolf in London, obviously. Yeah, yeah, but he had to fund it. You know, he had to go find funding. Universal wouldn't pay for it. You know, and I didn't realize like, that. That's just made the two most profitable comedies in history. Yep. Sorry, pal, you're out of luck. Wow. And trailers from yeah. hell is just this weird little fun thing that he and Dante and all these guys have kind of come up yeah. with, and and that's a a great little thing that's living online and everything, and you know, is kind of a, a lot of fun and great. Uh, interesting hearing these filmmakers talk about these movies and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, you know, all of those things that we love, Famous Monsters Magazine, uh, what Daphna and Gavin do at Boom. Uh, You know, it's just that's the great thing about being in the arts is that you get to you get to live in in what you love. You know, Uh, I have a lot of friends, uh, people that I know uh, in this business that are uh, uh, so much richer than I will ever be. Uh, because they, their passion is a, accumulating money. Uh, but that just seems like a terribly uh, joyless existence to me. Understood. Yeah, man. No, I agree. And you, again, I think when you reach this point in life and everything, it's like, yeah, you turn the stuff down that might make money because you really want to do what you want. And I'm glad that you're, again, able to follow those pursuits. Are you going to be on the comic convention circuit at all? For, yeah, for I was going to go to, what is it, CE32? Oh, you're coming and, to Chicago, C2E2. Well, I was going to come this year, oh. but it is the week of my – I was going to come because, one, again, <laughs> one of my many ridiculous side projects is uh, Janet Varney from Stand Against Evil yes. and I – I uh, have developed a, a live staged reading of Plan 9 from Outer Space. <laughs> I've heard you we promote do. it, yes. Yeah, and it's really an amazing show. Thanks to Ed Wood more than anyone. Here, here. Um, <laughs> uh, and we were going to come and do it, but unfortunately this year it is the uh, same week as my children's school vacation. Okay. And so dad is not going to a convention in Chicago. Absolutely. <laughs> dad, is, dad is taking them where they want to go. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I look forward to I look forward to doing it. And uh, I, I would love to come to a convention and do some kind of show or performance. I don't want to just. Um, uh, right. Do a uh, panel it'd be or just do a signing or whatever. Yeah, I understand. I'll have to do anything. I'm, I'm hoping to do a lot with the with the book. Uh, I'm really. The fact that I am even in this tiny microscopic way uh, affiliated with the apes canon is is surreal. And to be the the whole idea of the spine of a book that says by Rod Serling adapted by Dana Gould is <laughs> surreal to me. It's it's I mean I'm looking at a picture of him. I have it on my desk as an inspiration to go back to work and not fart around on eBay all day. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, he was, he was one of my real heroes. And the fact that I'm even tangentially connected to him in some bizarre way is, is really astounding to me. I, it's really, astounding. I understand, man. And I, and I like constantly look for his UCLA speeches that he gave. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, things like that. Of course, is a wonderful Mike Wallace interview pre twilight zone. Yeah. 
Do you ever see the photo of him? I, I see it. It comes up on Tumblr a lot. It's him giving a speech, but he's smoking a cigarette in the spotlight, and he looks like Sinatra. <laughs> no, I But it's Rod Serling giving a speech. It's really crazy. <laughs> that sounds great. That's yeah. excellent. You know who I'm – like, again, you go down these rabbit holes, as I'm sure you do, and it does keep you from work. <laughs> I live in a rabbit hole. I, I, believe me, I understand. Um, I was w- watching and listening to a lot of these UCLA talks, and you, the guy who created a Little Abner, Al Cap. And you know, yeah. and I'm sure you know him from you know berating John and Yoko in bed during the bed in and everything. Yes, um, man, in this Harvey Weinstein, you know what? he's kind of right. What's that? He's kind of right, kind of. But you know, and, and honestly, a really interesting guy. And I don't know how much you know about him, but has this Harvey Weinstein history? Where? Oh yeah, no, he was a he was a terror. Yeah, well, all those right wing guys were aw- were awful. But but I do you know as you. You 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 get older, you realize that a lot of – like I can see how people thought John and Yoko were annoying. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, yeah, and I mean – and I forget the name of the woman uh, journalist that's like, you know. Yeah, I know that one where, she, where he goes, you know, maybe we'll save someone's life. And she goes, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got, you're going to be like, she's kind of right. <laughs> yeah, no, and, but, but at the same time as well, not really understanding where he's just coming from in terms of, yeah. hey, man, is there anything wrong with just kind of maybe – let's not kill today? As as Kirk yeah yeah no, absolutely 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 <laughs> but but yeah so any well listen hey man I've I've taken up of enough of your time I hope uh, I hope we have the opportunity to do this one uh, uh, down the road for a different project or whatever uh, I really I really appreciate the podcast and really excited for the Apes graphic novel uh, Planet of the Apes Visionaries I believe is the yeah as as am I as am I <laughs> I'm still writing. <laughs> Well, good luck with the deadlines and very uh, excited about season three of uh, Stand Against Evil. Uh, yeah, thank you. Stand Against Evil, yeah, it'll premiere in um, November 1st, 2018. Oh, man, that's uh, right on the dot, just like, uh, like before, right around Halloween. Just, perfect in, time. just in time to miss Halloween. Oh, that's <laughs> They'll do the marathon of the, the previous season. That's all right. Man. That's right. Too much. That's right. Now, thanks for your time, man, and, and, and really continued success, and it was a pleasure talking to you. Hey, man, my my pleasure. Thank you very much. That's Dana Gould. The name of the book again, Planet of the Apes Visionaries, an original adaptation of the Rod Serling first try at a screenplay from Dana Gould and Chad Lewis coming from Boom Studios later this year. I know I'm excited, and I think every Planet of the Apes fan is as well. I hope you enjoyed today's Word Balloon. It was brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com, where there is just a ton of incredible Planet of the Apes material waiting for you from Boom Studios. They have the license right now, and they've hired incredible people uh, for you to check out as far as uh, great adaptations, also great crossovers, and uh, one of my favorite uh, creative teams on the eight books of Boom have been uh, Karina Bechko and Gabe Hardman, the husband and wife power couple that uh, know their stuff and certainly know their apes. Planet of the Apes Cataclysm, the trade paperback, volume two, 30% off, it's just $10.49. You can get the Star Trek Planet of the Apes Primate Directive. How about that? Scott and David Tipton doing the writing. Rachel Stott, uh, the artist. It's uh, 30% off, $13.99. So many volumes of Daryl Gregory's great run on Planet of the Apes is also available at InStockTrades.com at a great price. You can get uh, Volume 3 for 30% off, uh, featuring The Lawgiver, 
Good stuff here, man. Uh, just uh, $10.49 for that. You can also get Exile of the Planet of the Apes from Betchko and Gabe Hardman and our buddy Mark Lamming, who's yet to be on Word Balloon, but will be very soon. 30% off, $10.49. Tremendous stuff. Uh, really, Boom has done an excellent job getting the right people to write and draw these great Planet of the Apes stories. If you're a fan of the original five, even the new movies as well, you can appreciate things like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes trade paperback, volume one from Mike Morisi and Dave McDade, 30% off, $13.99. Ape fans, this is where you need to get your ape books, instocktrades.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Looking forward to talking to you in the days ahead. February has become an incredible month for us here at Word Balloon, and I'm very happy to share the conversations with you as we do each week. Until next time, thanks for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2018.